Hello and welcome to the Performing Animal Rights podcast series. My name is Ben Hunt. I am a performance artist and researcher doing a PhD at De Montfort University in Leicester, the UK. And I've got a great episode coming today with John Juncker, who is a playwright and an author of short stories and novels, and he focuses on human and animal relationships. He's also the co-founder of Ashland Creek Press, which is devoted to environmental and animal rights literature. And I talked to him about specifically his playwriting and his plays and what they mean to both the animal rights movement but also to theatre and the culture in theatre. And he raises some really interesting points around both those topics. I was first made aware of John through the Our Hen House podcast which hosted a audio version of his play Sanctuary which they release every Thanksgiving and I highly recommend checking that out as well as his other plays like Veganish and Meet the Parents and his novels The Tourist Trail and the sequel Where Oceans Hide Their Dead. You can find his work and information about him on johnyunker.com and all this I have to say now is on with the episode. How did you get to this place? How did you get to writing plays around veganism and animal rights? Uh, you know, that's a good question. It's been a circuitous uh, path, I guess. I Well, I've been a writer for most of my life. So that's that's who I am first and foremost. Now, the medium, you know, has evolved. And it, it conti- I continue to go from, from short stories to novels to, to, uh, to plays. Um, I, you know, I, I, I was an actor in high school, so I love, play. I mean, I love, I've followed, I love plays and I love writing. I've written screenplays in college. So I, I wanted to initially go that route, but I realized with students when I got out of college, I had to get a job job. And, and so I, that, I, that sidelined the, the uh, playwriting, but I kept writing and, you know, it just, it's now, I, I say over the past 10 to 15 years, I've been writing plays in addition to to novels and short stories. And then of course I, you know, becoming vegan, uh, you know, first vegetarian, then vegan over a decade ago, um, that obviously brought a lot of this to the forefront. You know, my, my evolution into focusing on animal rights through writing uh, began uh, with a short story called The Tourist Trail, which became a novel of the same name, which dealt with animal activism. That was the major focus. And, and then led to the founding of Ashton Creek Press with my wife, Midge Raymond, who's also, we're, we're both, you know, vegan authors, but we also founded this press with this goal of, of bringing to light more environmentally uh, enlightened work. Uh, and our focus has really been about this idea that environmentalism, modern environmentalism uh, needs to evolve quickly because it's been separate from animal rights. You know, it, they're one and the same, but they're historically animal. You could be a hunter and a fisher and still be an environmentalist. And we really don't like that. We really want to reinvent the, this definition of what environmental writing is and uh, take the extractive element out of it. Um, and and so that's what we've been looking for as a press and as writers. And and then go to go back to plays, it's just, uh, it's something I enjoy. I, I love doing it. It has been tough to get works produced, definitely, particularly the more um, vegan-centric plays. Those have been a real challenge. But I've had, you know, some success here and there, and uh, I just keep at it. I think it's an important venue, and it's an important way to 
to get at these issues in a way that a novel can't or a short story can. What do you think it is about plays? Like you said, there's something unique about um, Mm. plays compared to novels or whatever. What is it? What's the specific thing, do you think, or things? Is it the captured audience or is it the, the room and the energy? It's it's the captured audience. It's it's you can bring elements, and for me, in, in some of my writing, you can bring elements of humor to bear, sometimes very dark humor, to the situation where I think you can get at. Well, I tried that with uh, Sanctuary. You know, there, it's definitely there's elements of humor. It's dark humor because an animal does die. A couple animals die during the course of the the play, but. Uh, I am trying to get at some difficult issues in this case of relationships, animal rights, by using humor, which for some reason on a stage with a captive audience, it just works better than it would work in an odd or short story. It just it just feels right. And that and that is actually why Sanctuary became a play. And I wrote another play called Meet the Parents, M-E-A-T, Meet. Um, and the idea there is is I'm flipping this trope of the the lone vegan among carnivores, which you could look at Tracy Letts. He he wrote a play. I've already forgotten the name of the, the play, but there's one lone animal rights character among a, a family, um, and that's kind of his. You know, historically in drama, that's how vegans and vegetarians are portrayed. There's always one wacko in the in the mix. Um, so what I did is uh, this play is a family of vegans and one carnivore, the teen girl, and. And she opens the play complaining about what this this horrible life is like for her to be trapped with these crazy vegans and how it's it's made her life difficult in high school and 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 it's and it's just another way of of taking something taking a conventional um, dynamic or almost stereotypical family and and flipping it and and also reflecting I think there are real families like that actually now with there are vegan families and there might be a child who rebels and becomes a carnivore and 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 but there's also a lot of humor that we can tap into it and also perhaps for the the audience which is going to be mostly carnivores maybe they'll be a little more accepting and they can laugh at it but hopefully by the end of the play you start to see that vegans and non-vegans we're all in the same boat we're all trying to make sense of the world of our lives and maybe just maybe a few people that were not sympathetic to vegans and were had their defenses built up by the end of the play will be a little more sympathetic and and, and open-minded to towards it i re-listened to sanctuary today just to remind myself of what's really interesting is that you just like you said that you kind of give all the characters a level, level playing field in a way obviously as a vegan myself i'm very much attached to the vegans of the play but it doesn't feel like over sympathetic to the vegan or the vegan characters and and over villainizing the the the, car, the carnivores or the omnivores yeah. is that a coming from you as a vegan and as an advocate yourself is that a conscious choice did you have to maybe rein in at some point was what was your process like in in doing that yeah it it, it is a um well I, I just think the best characters are you know real characters are flawed characters we're all flawed there's no perfection there's no perfect character nobody's perfect we all we're all sinners we're all you know as much as i try to be a perfect vinner, vegan i could you know I, I i step on insects i could hit a, an animal uh with my car i mean we we all have an impact on this planet living on this just being alive and so i i always remind myself of that and i also um you know i was raised in the midwest 
U.S. I was raised a carnivore. I, if you had asked me, and people did, I, I did meet vegetarians when I was in college and after college, and I laughed. I could not have imagined that I would have stopped eating meat. It was just not even something I considered. Not that I hated animals. I thought I liked animals. I didn't claim to love them. It just, that was my relationship. That's the world I was raised into. And I kind of, I always hold on to that worldview because when I write, I'm trying to write for that audience as well as the, who I am now because I'd love to pull more people along and hopefully accelerate that journey uh, if I could. Um, and I, now that I'm a vegan, I think I am fully uh, eligible to make fun of vegans. <laughs> so I do, because vegans are funny too. We're flawed, we struggle, we have issues, we have arguments over really esoteric, seemingly esoteric things from, from the outside looking in. Um, and, you know, I mean, in going to sanctuary, uh, vegetarian yeast is just a funny product. I mean, coming from the outside looking in, I was like, what the hell is that? I mean, what vegetarian? I still kind of laugh because right? we have it in our cupboard. And uh, so I kind of remember a lot of that and what, what those issues are. And there's, there is a lot of comedy there. And comedy is is really underutilized, I think, um, in, in the animal rights movement, it, you know, it, because it's tough to make light of things that are under that are so tragic that are almost unbearably tragic. And I and I, I acknowledge that. I mean, I, I see it on Twitter. I follow a few people and they're posting stuff and it is just, every day it is heartbreaking to see this stuff. But if you're going to pull more people into the movement and try to crack through the defenses that they've built up, that we've all kind of built up in our own ways of trying to ignore that suffering and not see it, comedy is a great device to help uh, relax people a little bit and, and pull them in. Uh, and that's what I'm trying to do. And, and, you know, I've, I have been criticized by some vegans for, for making fun of vegans. And, and I, I own that. I know I do that, but that is a way to, um, I, I really think, you know, we're, we're just all in it together. And, and if we can't laugh sometimes at ourselves, then, then I don't know how life becomes really unbearable. Yeah. <laughs> you know, life is tough enough as, as it is. And I, I'd like to laugh here and there if I can. When you're writing or putting on your plays, is there a acknowledgement in your mind that you are? It's an act of support for activists as well. I th I hope so. I mean, I I think I I know a lot of my writing is me trying to work through things in my life in my head, you know. And I'm there's always voices talking and arguing and 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 I, and and so that I know that's how that comes out on the page a lot. And family members, uh, colleagues, um, yeah. I mean, I I've family members who are not vegan, who under, who forget that I'm vegan still again and again and again and don't understand it. And uh, so I'm still always trying to process that and, and trying to work. And, and Thanksgiving is one of the dark holidays of the year. We just got through it. And I, you know, Midge, my wife and I, we, we, we don't go out. We, we just don't even go to dinners with other people who eat turkey. It's just, it's, it's painful. It's, but I've done it, you know, and I'll probably do it again in certain for certain family occasions uh, with a with an extended family. But yeah, I think I hope I hope it does provide some comfort because it is it is tough. It is tough to be on the outside looking in. I think once you become vegan and and really digest the trauma of of what's going on around to see what what so many people don't see, it's hard to not. It's hard to just you. You live in a different world. We're all in the same world, but we're living in different worlds. And when we do these family events, 
we come together and we have to somehow coexist and and it's challenging and I hope to provide I hope they provide some degree of comfort I hope but I also hope they also pull people into our world you know my world which is to see that uh, that being a vegan is not so hard that yeah. actually what I like to show is it's somewhat heroic I think you know and I I do have a lot of dinner table arguments and and conversations because I think the you know when one spouse one half of a relationship when someone becomes vegan and the other doesn't that's happening all around the world right now as we speak and that is that takes courage because you are like with a married couple you get married uh, for better or for worse but there are some implicit agreements and that one one of those is we're both we both eat, like to share meals together meals that we both were eating when we dated and now we're married and now you're saying you don't want to eat those meals anymore. And that is for one person to stop that and and potentially risk their marriage. I, I did. Ha I've heard from people who have listened to Sanctuary and, and said that reflects my my marriage, which didn't work out. Um, not all marriages survive that. It's it's a big deal. It takes a lot of courage. Um, it, 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 you know, as I say, it's a chance. I've said, you know, when it, it's one like if 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 a one couple if you have a couple and one's a Democrat and one's a Republican. Well, in these days, I still struggle to see how that works. But at one point in history, I could see how that worked. But with veganism and non-veganism, you can argue you you can argue three times a day over what you're eating, and uh, and that's not that's sometimes un, not sustainable. And it it it's uh, you know so I do I do write a lot about relationships definitely because it's it's something that uh, you know fortunately Midge and I evolved approximately at the same time at roughly the same pace we both had our journeys I think I was a little later than her uh, because I'm more stubborn but uh, I do remember I do think gosh what if what if I didn't change you know would we still be married I don't know you know I, I, but th th I think about that with couples and families and uh, it is hard you know Animal rights and veganism, I often say, and this, we, we teach a class called Writing for Animals, and we wrote a book about it, and, and I always say that, you know, it's, it's people don't eat animals because they hate animals necessarily. A lot of it's, it's tradition, it's religion, it's harmony within the family. You know, they might not even want to eat meat, but they'll do it because that's the path of least resistance in their lives, you know, or, or they don't want to think about it. I mean, there's so many factors that come into play that that we have to, as activists, have to challenge and we have to show as you destroy one tradition, maybe you can point your way, point the way to a new tradition, a better tradition. You know, like I suggest, you know, the, the father, daughter, son hunting trip. Why can't that, why does it have to be about killing an animal? Could it be about photography? Could it be about mountain biking or something different just, or hiking, uh, discovery? But we have to also, when you destroy mythology, uh, and, and I'm quoting Carol Adams, uh, she, she, she wrote, you know, you can't argue with mythology. And I, I love that line because that's a lot of what vegans, activists do. We're trying to argue with people and we're trying to challenge their mythology. And it's, it's almost impossible to do that. But I always say, you create new mythology. And I try to write new heroes. There's new heroes. You know, animal activists are heroes, animal rescuers, you know. Uh, and if I like to write about them and, and put them into place and, and show that, that there is a way forward for everyone. It's just interesting thinking about sanctuary and going back to the point of how it's quite a blank canvas. And, but in a sense of, uh, as in the arguments both sides, and you don't place the non-vegan husband as 
just batting out all the nonsense we hear as vegans about like pro well he starts the protein thing but he does end on that mythology you're talking about on our memories if we stop eating animals our memories are erased the special memories of going out for meals which yeah. is really fascinating and it's kind of a thing and i'm sitting there as a vegan going that's actually a really good point this is kind of this mythology which is really lovely really nicely put thinking about think about the audience that would be in the room at the time obviously you've done radio play versions imagining your audience as well when you when you're writing your plays is there a sense of what do you want them to you've kind of touched upon it already but when you when they're leaving the theater after seeing your play and they 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 eat animals is there a sense of the hope that they will stop eating animals there is there is the hope uh first off i don't want them to leave before the play is over so that's my one goal um <laughs> uh, i i did uh sit through a stage reading of meet the parents and i don't think there was a single vegan in the audience um and we did a talk back you know with the playwrights on stage with the actors and but it was actually good feedback it was good feedback but you could tell it it, it does make people uncomfortable you know it is you're, t you're talking about things um that that you know that that uh it just just you know it, it challenges so much of of, of our core livelihoods and it's it's tough it is tough to make people uncomfortable to that degree um you know it's one thing to watch a play about uh, something that doesn't affect you to that degree but this issue is it's 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 our fridges it's our clothing it's our uh our companion animals and how we treat them it, it could be our livelihoods if we're dairy farmers or you know ranchers or if we have family who are who do that i mean it, it really is a far-reaching issue that it, it, it's hard but i think if you can just get someone to make it to the end of the play um maybe that gets some thinking it's it's a and, and it always and i always keep in mind it's a journey it doesn't for some people it happens overnight but even when it seemingly happens overnight that journey probably began years before where they started maybe they met someone who is vegan and they realize well that person's not as crazy as i thought a vegan would be and then they that gets lodged somewhere in the head and then they move along and maybe a celebrity they follow who who says go vegan they think about that and then they maybe they they go to a restaurant and they tried the beyond burger and they realize oh it's not so bad i can i don't have to eat meat you know it's kind of one of this this process and we all have our own journeys and writing is a journey and and sitting through a play is a journey so you're taking your audience on a journey and my goal ultimately is to to i you know to comfort the afflicted and to uh 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 make the uh oh gosh i've already forgotten that uh, the, the famous trope about journalism to 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 afflict the comfortable and comfort the afflicted. Oh, right. so yeah that, that is what i to do yeah, I suppose even thinking about the staying to the end is, I think theatre is built ideally for that because you could turn off a film, you could close a book, you could stop a, a documentary or whatever, but with theatre, it's much harder to walk out. And also one thing we, we recommend in, in the uh, when we teach this class about writing for animals is any literary work, any dramatic work, it, it, I think it's valuable to have characters that the, the audience can identify with. So if you know... This audience, there are going to be a lot of people that could care less about veganism and are probably going to not want to even hear about it. 
you got to have some non-vegans on stage, perhaps one. And I, that's why I opened Meet the Parents with the lone carnivore, this girl who's trapped in this horrible situation, <laughs> trapped, you know, and she, you know, she makes jokes about her nickname is Toots at school because she's this diet and she's, she's uttering all the, the, the stereotypical things about what it means. And, and the idea with doing that is to hopefully get the audience kind of laughing and relaxing and going, Oh, and you know, cause if you, if you really think vegans are wacky, you're, you're going to identify with this girl and you're going to want to see her journey. Well, how is, how, how, where is she going to end up at the end of this play? And, uh, uh, but if you're vegan, you might be more, you'll follow the, the family, other family members. So that, that was also the goal is to give, give some other, you know, every character has their due and their say and, and, um, and hopefully people follow along. So when you talk about you had a stage reading of Meet the Meet the Parents, did you um, have a certain a tactic to get these non-vegans in to see see this event? Well, fortunately, it was part of the. It was in South Carolina. It was part of the Center Stage New Play Festival. So we were. I was one of the finalists. So all uh, it was over a few nights, but we each got a. Each, there were I think four of four playwrights, three or four, and. So the audience is just there for the plays. So they don't really know what the play's about. So that's nice. I, I if, if if it was just the play and they were asked to pay for it up front, you know, I, I, I don't know. I haven't been in that situation with that type of event. Um, I hope to someday. I mean, it'll be interesting to hear your ideas on how creatives, playwrights who write vegan stories, animal rights stories, how they can overcome that hurdle. Is it a case of self-production or is it weaving your way into certain companies that may be more sympathetic than others? Well, I, th I think self-production is definitely something something I've looked into more so, and I'm continually looking into it. I, I would love to see, well, you know, uh, our hen house is wonderful, you know, because they 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 took it on. And, and then we did a reading of uh, Veganish as well. So they're wonderful. I mean, in a way, that's kind of like self-production. Um, and I because it's like the vegan players, you know, that that's their theater group, basically. Uh, and that's just wonderful. You know, if you can if you can create that or or have that. And I was very lucky to to, to, to know them and and Jasmine and Marianne just, you know, champion the work. Uh, but I, I think also just, you know, just be persistent. Um, I don't I don't think it's so competitive. Playwriting is so competitive. And of course, over the past two years, <laughs> Not, very little has happened, you know, so that's been part of it as well. So I don't think, I think there's definitely an openness to it. I, I've had, I've gotten good readings. I really have. And, and I, some of these plays have been finalists and semi-finalists for a lot of very, at a very good theater programs. And so I do believe a, a lot of it is just persistence. That's what I tell every writer, regardless, play, short story, novel, you, you've got to be in it for the long game. You know, you've got to say, okay, particularly if you're writing about these issues, you're, you're slightly ahead of your time. You know, we're all on the cutting edge of this, this stuff. So the world is catching up. So, and which means theaters are catching up. And I do believe that we're getting to a point, you know, there's definitely openness now to climate change, novels, stories, plays. So we're seeing that. Uh, so I do think with theater, we're, we're on the precipice of something similar as, as the, the, the eyes open to animal rights issues um, among a lot more theaters. So I think it's actually a good time to be doing it, but just just know that um, 
it's it is competitive and yeah. uh, it's a numbers game and, and theaters are just starting to get on their feet again really in town they've just started um, a product you know they were quiet for you know a year and a half so so everyone's struggling a bit too mm-hmm. you know so it's it's a lot of them are just getting started producing plays that they committed to producing two years ago you know so there's a bit of catching up that that's happening well fingers crossed yeah it's really exciting in a way that is this forward motions and hope mm-hmm. that it will build and build that's uh that's exciting thinking about your writing and thinking around animal rights and and your plays i've noticed listening and reading them that they really you use dialogue really well to get the animals animal rights message across it'll be interesting to hear your thoughts on where the where the animal sits here because i don't know if you think if you believe that theater is powerful because of the use of dialogue and we can get things across through characters is there space for writing the the animal into theater productions beyond the human and again how do we do that without without trivializing them uh, non-human animals as as objects or as characters in a story where their their suffering is very real are you conscious of that when you're trying to get your message across that it is the messages between the human dialogue rather than bringing it I don't mean bring an actual animal on stage. I just mean right, right. bring the character of an animal into the into the story. I I think it's it's. I would love to do it, and I've I've actually got some projects that I've been working on. One is, well, I've actually written. Actually, let me check here. I've written. Um, I wrote one play called Little Red House, and that was produced a few times. Um, but that is, uh, spiders. All right. And so they're there. And it's a short play. It's 10 minutes. But we as an audience member, as an audience, we don't know they're spiders initially, but they are. It's all spiders. There there are three, three spiders in that play. Um, So I guess that's that that is technically an example. But um, and I'm working on something else that is also written from with animal characters. I, I, I think there's a lot of potential there. And I know, you know, I mean, there's people are open. The beautiful thing about, you know, stage plays is is you know, you, you step on stage. If, if you've somehow told your audience that, you know, I'm a, I'm a cat, I'm a, I'm a cow, they'll buy into it. You don't necessarily have to wear a costume per se. Um, so I, I think, uh, there's great potential, but you, you do have to, I always say write up, not write down, meaning, um, let's assume animals are smarter than, than, you know, let's make that mistake and veer towards intelligence rather than don't dumb them down because I there's a line I, I used in one of one of the books we, we have some anthologies we've published called among animals and they're short story collections and and I wrote I think at the beginning the first anthology I wrote that the, the more we study animals the smarter they get and and that means you know scientists keep telling us oh now dolphins can see their reflection and crows use to- tools and and you know they're discovering all of these massive signs of intelligence among non-human animals. It doesn't mean they weren't smart to begin with. It just means that we went into it assuming they were kind of stupid. Uh, you know, going back to, you know, the philosopher Descartes, I say, I would assume that, you know, they were first, they were machines and then they were kind of dumb. And now they're, every year it seems like they're getting smarter and smarter. Well, Let's just assume they're really, really smart in ways that we can't comprehend and, and just start there. And, and as opposed to, you know, they're kind of dumb and because they don't necessarily do things that we assign intelligence to. You know, they, they may be dumb by our measures of intelligence, but in so many ways, they're, they're, they're brilliant. And 
Uh, we're just starting to figure that out. And I'm glad we're figuring it out. I just wish it hadn't taken so damn long, you know, uh, because a lot of damage has been done to animals by scientists who went into it assuming they were stupid. Uh, you know, fish, Jonathan Balcombe has a book about fish and how they feel pain. And, and you know, I, I, as a child, I thought fish couldn't feel pain. I was told that, you know, and you fish and then you the last time I caught a fish, I was probably, I think I was 10 years old and it was horrible. It was a horrible traumatic experience because I had this fish, a small rock bass, and I was doing things that boys did with their fathers. You know, you catch a fish, you then prepare the fish and I had to kill that fish. And it was horrible. It was the most horrible experience. And it was one fish, but I, I, could, I knew that fish felt pain. It was clear to me, but at the same time I was being told at that time in history, the fish, oh, they don't care. There's no pain there. And even if you catch and release, they don't feel that. Of course they feel that. They're getting stabbed with a hook. They feel that. They often die as a result from the trauma. We know that now. Scientists know that now. But still, across the mainstream culture, across all these quote-unquote conservation organizations, fishing is still good. It's a positive, family, wholesome pursuit. And it's just horrible. It's absolutely horrible. So long story short, yeah, I, I think we do. I think there's great opportunities for, for, for writers to, to put animals in, in their works and put them on stage. Yeah. And I think there's enormous potential. I'd love to see more of that. But it, you do have to honor the, the animal as, as a character as a, and, and you know, bear that responsibility of, of knowing that, that, you know, that you're interpreting this, this animal as best you can in, in trying to, to portray this animal in a way that, uh, you know, doesn't create any more harm, uh, lead to more harm. But it certainly can do a lot to open eyes. And you, you mentioned Watership Down. I mean, that book, I still think about that book to this day. So uh, that really, you know, those, those books, if you do it right, you can really change the world and, and often from a very young age. So, so it's, it's hugely powerful. Yeah, it'd be really interesting to see how theater revolves with that because it does very much feel like a human a human art human-centered art so obviously there's plays which with different transformations maybe like metamorphosis and and puppetries in in yeah. productions be interesting to see from an animal rights lens what happens what happens there yeah fingers crossed that happens well, soon. and there's yeah. also this dichotomy of cartoons which you know i was raised with cartoons bugs bunny who i love bugs bunny and he was always smarter than the hunter. He never got killed by the hunter and it was fun. And, but animals are really smart in cartoons, mm -hmm. you know, but then they get, then you get into adult entertainment and suddenly they're not so smart, you know, and it's fascinating. Like as children, we get it like children know the truth and then that gets forced out of us or we have to just compartmentalize it to fit into this, what it means to be an adult. And it's sad. We have um, created a society that uh, where we get deadened to pain and suffering and and what we are doing as artists are trying to reawaken what's there it's in all of us but it's often been really forced down because there's a lot of tr trauma probably at an early age that we suffered when we realized that we were eating animals that we actually loved you know as children and we have all suffered that all of us and so, to some degree and so it's there it's there in all of us so i i do believe the empathy is there it's just how do you unlock it and allow people to let it go again and let it flourish without yeah. their worlds caving in on them because there is a fear there is a inherent fear in doing that there's a whole psychological aspect to this you know 
Uh, there's a great psychologist who I who I'd recommend, uh, Alice Miller. And she writes a lot about uh, trauma. As uh, that pe when you suffer trauma as a child, you you bury it, and it makes it very difficult to deal with those issues later on. And we as children often deal with animal trauma, and that gets buried. Yeah, that's interesting. It's really exciting to hear that art may be a way of bringing that out and bringing this this suppressed these suppressed feelings out and explored which is really that science maybe is is lacking like you mentioned before this kind of science seems to be behind the moral thinking of things with i mean just recently with in the uk they've recognized crustaceans as sentient but like obviously it's been clear to many animal rights activists for a long time that it's not good to throw lobsters into a boiling pot and just so it's really interesting to think of art as a tool of opening this this treasure chest well not treasure chest treasure chest to trauma up and exploring it and trying to rearrange it into something healthy and and uh, positive which is or productive slightly shifting gears a bit can you talk me through your process of writing a play about animal rights from the beginning concept to to putting it on what and also emotional process from you got the idea and then you go through the slog of writing it might not be a slog i'm not sure but then at the end what are these emotions while you're doing this process well it's it's it is most definitely a slog <laughs> uh it you know it's usually be, it begun begins as an idea sometimes it begins as me being pissed off about something you know i honestly think uh meet the parents began because i saw that tracy let's play where where there was one animal rights character in this family and they all kind of made fun of her and so i wanted to flip that that was the idea but sometimes the idea there's the idea and that might find its way into a short story first or or it might be a novel i i just i kind of just i just start writing and then it's and and sometimes i realize it's going to lend itself better to the stage versus the page and it can be a laborious process definitely i i wish there's no easy way to, to put it. And some, some plays come more quickly. Some of the 10 minute ones, you know, I wrote a 10 minute one about, uh, what's it called? Uh, Pardon me, which is recent. And that's just flip. This is also speaking of Thanksgiving that flips the Thanksgiving ritual of the presidential pardon. And so what we have is turkeys who are going to pardon politicians. Right. And so where does that go? And, and it, trying to point out the absurdity of, of, the entire ritual and the under underlying slaughter. Uh, but you know, it, I, I wish I could have, I really, I re really wish I had tips other than to see it through to the end. It helps to be really, really passionate. And that could be angry. It could be in love. It could be whatever, follow that passion, but that will help get you through to the end of it. Because if you don't have that, if you're just writing something because you feel the urge to write something, you feel like, or you feel like you should write something that usually doesn't get you through the end. For me, it's, it's I got to get something off my chest. I just have to do it. And and maybe it'll be a play. Maybe it'll be a, a short story. I, I usually don't know at the beginning, but usually about a third of the way into it, I realize it's going to be something in terms of, uh, you know, a play or a, or a story. And then once I know that it, it, it finds its way to the end. But I've got right now, I probably have 30 different variations of things I'm working on. And I bounce around a bit, uh, you know, it. The persistence. I say persistence. It's that is the key recipe here. Persistence, yeah. stubbornness. You know, whatever you call it, uh, and and keep submitting. I, I keep submitting. I, I've run. You know, some of the plays I've kind of 
run out of places to submit to. And but then I realized, you know, after a few years, you could probably start up again because every theater they have new artistic directors, new new agendas, new priorities, and um, uh, you just gotta just keep at it. So when it gets to that point, let's say you've submitted, or even you self-produce and yeah. you've got an audience, what's that? What's that feeling like as a as a creative uh, as a writer? Yeah. Could you describe the feeling of actually having it performed as a as either a, a workshopy kind of thing or as an audio play, like in our hen house? What was what oh, was that it's, like? It's, it's wonderful. Yeah, it's wonderful. It's I, I wish it happened more often, but I'll take what I can get. It's it's a wonderful feeling because you know these these are you know these are they're characters, but they're people or or animals or both, and and that they live in your head and then they become real on the stage or on on in your computer and in audio and no it, it means the world and it's also just i i find when i read not so much my own work but when i, when I read literature written by vegans and animal rights people there is a, even though sometimes the topics are really really hard there is a comfort level to know you're not alone i mean i think we have in this field we need to know we're not be reminded we're not alone that the suffering is real that having the weight of the world on your shoulders is hard because <laughs> we all kind of feel it. We know every day the the casualties that are happening, uh, that the world seems completely unaware of, and yet it it's it's awful. It is absolutely awful. And we have good days and we have bad days and, and depression is always out there lingering, you know, um, just out of reach uh, often. But so it is, it is, it is struggling. It is a struggle. So, so I, you know, I think it's important to to read it so i encourage people to when you find vegan authors we've published a number of books uh by vegan authors read them you know because you'll it'll be reminded you're not alone you'll see what other vegans are do, doing creatively and and you know if you find a theater or you form a theater to focus on animal rights yeah put put out the word because we'll find you i'll find you uh and we'll i'll promote you too we also have a um well you're what you're doing is great by the way focusing on performing arts but we also have a uh uh, Ecolip Books, which is a website that reviews books. But if I find plays out there, I'll mention them as well. And I want to do more of that just to highlight those plays that are that focus on these issues, because uh, it's it's still it's early days. Um, but I know, you know, I know that it's it's going to be huge soon, uh, hopefully sooner than later. I do feel like more and more people like literally every day, more and more people are waking up to these issues. And more importantly, they're more open minded than before. You know, they're more open to try. And it helps that there's this whole fake meat, fake cheese industry that's just really, really good. You know, it's not that much work anymore. You know, you can actually go to a non-vegan and say, here's a hamburger and you will not know that notice mm -hmm. the difference. And they won't. And it's healthier. And so it's gotten a lot easier to pull people in uh, to the movement. Yeah, that's exciting. The, the stage is set for more, yeah. uh, forgive the pun, but the stage is set for more more plays and more theater and more and more creative works for sure that's exciting thank you for your time is there anything i've missed or anything you'd like to say before we round up you know just uh visit the press ashlandcreekpress.com um and if you're an artistic director and looking for plays um i'm on new play exchange which is a great resource for for downloading plays and, and so forth so so yeah, and just keep it up. And for any writers out there, just keep writing. Just keep writing, keep submitting, and and self-produce. Honestly, if we have to do it ourselves, we'll, we'll we'll do it ourselves. Definitely. Yeah, definitely. Great. Thank you, John, and thank you to you, the listener, 
for listening to this episode. If you did enjoy it and found value from this conversation and previous conversations, please do leave a review, uh, subscribe if you haven't already, share with folks you think might find value in this series also. And if you haven't yet, please do check out the episodes prior to this one where we talk about music, movement narration, drag, direct action, civil disobedience, strategy, social media, sketches, comedy, loads of stuff. And in the meantime, thank you for listening and goodbye.